Welcome to Once Upon a Disney, an analytical yet fun-loving look at Disney narrative filmography from the 20th century. I'm Andy Redwine, and with me is the slick as a whistle, Jim Dandiest professor with a tight tail hold on this show, Larry Brenner. How are you, Larry? I'm doing pretty well, Andy. If you'll just hold on, I've got like a couple of minutes left of Old Yeller to watch, but I have to tell you that... Oh. <laughs> oh. Oh. Oh, no. Andy, I'm I'm a mess. <laughs> what? What? Oh. This is a Disney movie. It's what? A circle of life, Larry. It's a circle of life. I don't remember. I don't remember Mufasa getting rabies. <laughs> well, clearly, friends, we're doing Old Yeller today, and um, oh boy, I know <laughs> it's. <laughs> you, you said something pre-production I thought was really great about this being kind of a slow. How did sure. you say that? So, no, I, so what I was saying was, this is not a movie that would get made today, and I don't, I don't mean that as a criticism, but this movie is, you know, it's a boy and his dog movie, but it's not an action-adventure movie. It's really more of a slow meditation on the relationship between a boy and his dog and what each owes to the other. Uh, yeah. It's, it's not a movie that they would make today because as an audience – we are no longer trained to watch movies that are slow meditations on on a relationship. Yeah. You, you couldn't even see the trailer for this one. Uh, that doesn't mean I don't think it's good. I, I do think that it's it's very good, but it's definitely a movie of its time and not something not something we would replicate today. I Is miss that- the slow I, yeah, I miss the slow burn of a of a movie like this, so I think. I, that's one of the reasons I'm attracted to classic film. It's just that I like digging into uh, something and sitting with it, and you know, listening to the banner back and forth. But yeah, I think our, our in our modern world, we have um, yeah, we do. do there a are too bit, many sure. other shiny objects to go see. Right. Right. I, I mean, that's that really is what it is. We have a market full of shiny objects, and a movie like Old Yeller would not attract the attention to get mm-hmm. the audience that it got. Back in 1957. Um, and does it, and wow, does it get an audience. Um, this this movie really does set the tone for the boy and his dog movies. This this is this the genre. Is, this is the dog and, <laughs> and boy everything movie. after it, everything after it is going to echo Old Yeller, I think. Well, let's let's jump into some key facts. So Old Yeller is an adaptation of a book uh, with the same title by Fred Gibson that comes out in 1956. Gibson was born and raised in the Texas Hill Country uh, near Mason, Texas. And he starts his career by writing for some small Texas newspapers and magazines before he starts writing novels about the thing he knows best, which is dogs. Uh, He's had several relationships with many dogs over his life. And dogs are, if you live on a farm, dogs are infinitely fascinating. Uh, the, The book received a Newbery honor in 1957. So so Walt wasted no time then. This movie no. comes out in 1957. If the book came out in 1956, like he secured the rights and just rushed this into production. Yes, this movie came in hot and so or this book came in hot and uh, people loved the book. It took off. Disney got the rights. They started right away and um the rest is what we know. So in the Gibson book, Old Yeller was a breed called a yellow black mouth cur, hence the colloquial yeller, right? Oh, uh, okay. <clears throat> right. So also he yelled when he barked. 
It sounded like a yell. And at the time, a yellow a yellow cur is a hunting breed throughout the South, reaches about 95 pounds. In the movie, there's a dog named Spike who was cast for Old Yeller. And there's a famous pair of animal trainer brothers, Frank and Rudd Weatherwax. They train Lassie. They train Toto. Actually, Lassie's name was Pal, but that's a whole nother thing. Sure. Uh, they purchased Spike from the Van Nuys Animal Shelter for $3. Spike was a Labrador Retriever Mastiff mix with a giant head and paws. And you see those in the movie. Some sources say he was 70 pounds, some 180, which I think that's a little much for a dog. But if if I was judging things, I'd say Spike hit the 90 pound mark fairly I, easily. I wonder, I mean, what dog could you look at and go, I don't know, maybe 70 pounds, maybe 180. There's just no way to know by looking at them. I. I don't who who who's going to look at me that way and make that range on my <laughs> weight? Please, please. Could be 125, could be 400 pounds. No way to know. That's hilarious. So initially, Spike lost the part because he wasn't vicious enough. But the Weatherwax team convinced Disney to let, let us work with him and we'll teach him how to play fight. Uh, the mother bear in the film was also trained to play fight. Oh, thank goodness. As did the dog who played the wolf. If you watch the fight sequences with the sound off, you'll notice they aren't nearly as wild as they seem. Sound is everything in this movie. I was horrified imagining that, that like, <laughs> they got a real wild bear. I, I mean, it really, it really captured the illusion that that was a dangerous interaction. No, I think I think the 1950s uh, and 60s are sort of the high points for animal training and actually using animal actors in film. Oh, so really and, and convincing, this, really great performances they get out of those animals. I yeah, I wish. And the, we and the weather waxes are really the weather waxes are really the the you know the creme de la creme there. So uh, unlike other adaptations, Disney stayed true to the book. He even invites Gibson to come to the studio to work on the script with writer William Tunberg. And Walt Disney loved working with Fess Parker. Okay. <laughs> and <laughs> okay. I, I don't know if you can, uh, that's probably not an understatement, but it's a testament to keeping this story authentic that Fess's appearances are minimized in this movie. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's, 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 he's bookends basically. Uh, according to his son, Beck, Gibson was as pleased as a little boy with a new red wagon about this movie. And Gibson writes in a letter to a friend who's an also an author named Joe Small. Hope Disney makes a pot of money out of old Yeller. Maybe I can get him get to him with something else sometime. And of course, the sequel Savage Sam becomes another Disney Gibson collaboration. And Disney re-edits re old Yeller uh, for a two part television series on the wonderful world of Disney this is not a made-for-TV miniseries edited to a movie like the Davy Crockett pieces. This is a feature film edited for television, and honestly, I think it shows. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's right. I, th I think you get a better yeah. Uh, but Walt Walt could do it either way. It, it yeah. doesn't make a difference to him. <laughs> goes yeah. So director Robert Stevenson, who will later go on to direct things like Mary Poppins, he that darn cad. He directs a lot of things for. Disney pays attention to every detail in the set 
including wardrobe and the utensils used by the cast. So even though they get it to screen quickly, they are really like authenticity is is the name of the game here. Mm-hmm. Uh, historian Brenda Greenshoe details the philosophy of Disney's adaptation of Old Yeller. So in, in an essay that she writes, when you read Gibson's novel, you learn from the first page that Travis had to kill Old Yeller. So no surprises. You know right. it from the first page. Uh, death, obviously, is a very hard thing, especially to talk to children about. But Disney had already dealt with the subject in Bambi. And he wanted to accurately depict how children deal with love and loss in a farm setting. Disney himself grew up on a farm and he truly hated it when it was sold. The farm had to be sold at auction, Uh, including there was a cult that he and his brother Roy had raised from birth. Oh, yeah. Tell me, tell me one of two things. Tell me that Walt, when he became rich, found that cult and brought him to Disneyland. (laughs) Or tell me that that cult's name was Horace Horsecollar and has (laughs) since been immortalized in the world of that. No, no, neither. But but no, I don't think that's true. But Disney did have two dogs uh, at the end of his life that he really he said he preferred to more than he preferred their company more than people. Okay, fair enough. Fair Fair. enough. Sure. Uh, So, in a 1955 interview for the American Magazine, Disney said this: "I don't believe in playing down to children. I didn't treat my youngsters like fragile flowers, and I think no parent should." Children are people, and they should have to learn to reach to learn about things, to understand things, just as adults have to reach if they want to grow in mental stature. Life is composed of lights and shadows, and we would be untruthful, insincere, and saccharine if we tried to pretend there were no shadows. Most things are good, and they are the strongest things, but there are evil things too, and you do a child no favor by trying to shield it from reality. The important thing is to teach a child that good always triumphs over evil, and that is what our pictures do. I love 95% of that quote, Andy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what, what part I, I disagree with? Hit me. The good always triumphs over evil. Mm. And here's why. Because, because for good to triumph over evil requires effort. Um, right. It is, always implies it will just happen. But I, ah. I I think that, like, if good people always make an effort, evil will be triumphed over is better. Yeah. Um, well. But, but you know, you know, who am I to rewrite Walt? It's an amazing quote. It's an amazing quote. <laughs> well, the production team said that the ending of Old Yeller was too harsh. And Walt Disney absolutely refused to soften it. And the result, I think, is one of the most difficult moments in all of cinema. Um, I've lost a, a lot of good dogs in my life. If, if you've ever had to put a dog down and you think of Travis ending Old Yeller suffering, you know, it, you think about it. Like I thought about Old Yeller when I, you know, had to say goodbye to my, my, my buddies. And you just do the work that needs to be done. And so I think Disney helped us do that work uh, with this picture. In fact, it would have been 100% the wrong move to soften this, it, then it's a movie about nothing, right? Like it all comes, right. the, the relationship comes to a definitive ending point in this movie. Um, 
And and like if you weakened it, if you're like old Yeller went to a farm where he's being treated <laughs> like like w- then what did we watch? Then right. what did we, we did... watch? Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So that's what I that's what I've got for us today. All right, Andy. Um, let's do a brief racist roundup. Oh, yeah. uh, I, brief because brief. because this is a movie that all, that really doesn't. Uh, while while it acknowledges the existence of people other than uh, Caucasians in this movie, um, none of them actually appear in this movie and right. are treated. I'm I mean so like if if you there's there's some unpleasant things said about uh, Native Americans and at the very end of the movie, um, like. Fess Parker comes back with with an Indian chief headdress, as he calls it, and a tomahawk. And you have to watch the little boy go running down the street, making right. making that awful ah wah 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 sound that I'm not really gonna do. Right. Um, and and you just want that to not be in the movie because it doesn't it doesn't need to be. It doesn't it doesn't serve anything. Me, right. the, I uh, it's there. Uh, I mean, what it the, does is it creates merch for Disney. If <laughs> it, it does opportunity, I mean, we never see any Native Americans in this movie. We do have a lot of jokes uh, being made at their expense, and that's unfortunate. It's but, super. But they also, but they also feel like for 1956, they also feel like jokes. I don't think anybody really believes that anybody is going to be scalped in this movie. No, no, I, I just look if I, I, I am actually invoking and I think it's I think it's a good rule. Uh, the most cringy movie we've seen with the depiction of Native Americans, I think far and away is Peter Pan. And if you can and everyone's watched Peter Pan, if you can watch Peter Pan, you can watch this for right. sure. Right. Um, but what I will say is, you know, if we were remaking these movies today, I want all of that gone. Mm-hmm. I, I do think we need to preserve how ugly some of that stuff is. Acknowledge that it's a thing that we did. Hold it up as a standard to not do again. Right, right. Um, but but yeah, I mean, takes me out of the movie at this point. Because yeah. it just brings me into like the, how could they, why did they think this was okay? It clearly was not okay. Right. All right, let's get into plot. Okay, such as it is, because, and I don't mean this, I don't mean this as a criticism, this is not a movie uh, that, this movie tells the story of a life, but it doesn't tell the story of an adventure, really. Uh, Maybe it tells the story of of some months, but but you wouldn't say like, uh, oh, this, this narrative um, is a single story, rather it's a collection of stories about it details the beginning of a relationship and the end of a relationship. Right. But if we're going to hold this to our, our normal standard, we start off with our Manish Tana, which is delivered to us by song. Uh, we get a, we, we get shots of a dog uh, who we assume is old yeller because they're singing a song about old yeller, <laughs> the best doggone dog in the West, uh, which is, I was singing as we as we started this podcast, and I didn't realize my mic was on and Andy could hear me. Uh, it's no Davy Crockett. 
it's no Davy Crockett, but but uh, it's it's a passable song. It's catchy. Uh, I mean, yeah. I've been singing it all week in my head, so yeah. Sure, sure. You and just won't right, hear we, it in Frontierland. That's all. Or will you? Well, actually, I've I never heard it in Frontierland. It. I think you do hear it in Frontierland, but anyway, oh, I've heard maybe. it. I've heard it in Frontierland before, but but we get to see a dog doing dog things as this prologue. Is this? Andy, a good Manish tonight. is this a good way to open up the movie, do you think? Well, I think for the 1950s it is, because people are sort of settling in, getting their popcorn, we know the movie's starting, you know. Uh, playing the credits. Maybe people are running late, playing the credits, we're doing all that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it's an interesting choice to show him, because later, if we don't have this moment, I always think about that. Like, okay, what happens if we don't have this? We don't get to discover, like, we know that Old Yeller's a good dog before he comes on the scene. Like we like him because he's been playful and doing things. I think it's an, a, a more interesting choice to leave it off and to have us discover Old Yeller as Travis does. Sure, but, uh, but that's yeah. I and I think if we were going to do this today, we would either do it the way that you just described, which is we meet we meet Old Yeller when Travis does. Alternatively, I think we might have like we watch Old Yeller escape from somewhere like mm-hmm. like, you know, there's there's a mean man who owns him. And we watch as like Old Yeller does some sort of Mission Impossible uh, escape room sort of antics to get out or, or like or we see him get left behind by accident. We see some sort of we see something adventurous here. Right. But that's not the right choice for this version of the movie because we're not going to have adventures. We're going to have mm-hmm. incidents, but not no one's going on a journey in this movie. We stay on the farm the right. entire movie. Right. I mean, we we also in the Manishana, we meet the boys and we see their relationship sure. um, right after that, which I think is exposition. Uh, yeah. But but. We know uh, the thing I loved about this is that we know that Papa's leaving for a cattle drive, but we also get with that exchange, we get to see the relationship between Travis and Arliss and how that works. Right. And and that really brings us into the structure of the plot. Uh, well, when we first meet the family, uh, it's it they're introduced to us sort of in pairs. Uh, we see uh, Travis riding on horseback uh, with his father. Uh, Jim, they are they are returning, uh, and we also meet like Arliss and and Katie, uh, who who's the mom and the little boy in the family. We we meet we meet all of them. We see them together, but we get the sense that there's a big difference. Not really like I wouldn't say there's a big difference in age, but there's a di- big difference in terms of responsibility being allocated to these two brothers. Right. Dad's about to go off. Um, and, and he's going to go offer some months to make some money. And he's, he's saying, basically, you're the man of the house, Travis. It's your responsibility to keep the farm going. Uh, make sh- take care of your mother and brother. And boy, does the younger brother need to be taken care of. Uh, <laughs> he is, he is, um, 
I, I don't want to say guileless because he actually has quite a bit of guile. Uh, but he reminds me very much of the youngest brother in Swiss Family Robinson. Never met an animal he didn't like. Right. Um, like mom is constantly making him like empty his pockets. And there's so many animals in there. Like and I they- may have mentioned this when we did Swiss Family Robinson, but this is Kevin Corcoran's character. This inquisitive, goofy. I mean, it's the same character, right? He's playing the same. The exact same character. Although although three years later in Swiss Family Robinson. Although for some reason, the stakes are significantly higher on this farm that is his home than than it will feel in Swiss Family Robinson when that kid is trying to catch tigers in a pit. Right. right. So... So dad leaves and immediately we see that Travis is going to start taking the responsibility seriously. He's off to a good start, but then a dog comes in and and spooks the animals and the fence gets knocked down. And it's been five minutes since Fess Parker cashed his check and left the studio Uh, and already Things are off to a bad, bad start. And if there's one thing that Travis knows, it's that he hates this dog who has ruined him, who's like started him off already behind schedule. His dad's going to be so disappointed when he comes back. Does that feel like the inciting incident to you? It does. Okay. Uh, the arrival of Old Yeller is the, I mean, so so you could make the argument, dad leaving is the inciting incident, right? Mm-hmm. That's something that hasn't happened before. Um, and and it's something that puts Travis in an unusual circumstance. So you could say that's the inciting incident. But Travis but, doesn't seem all that, like he feels like, I can handle this. You know, he you don't get a sense from Travis when Jim hands the mantle over to him. I mean, he says, I need a good horse. Your dad says, I, I need a good dog. But there's a call to manhood there. And I think that Travis is willing to take that on. Ultimately, though, the reason that I say that the arrival of Old Yeller is the inciting incident is because the movie's going to center on that relationship. Right. Uh, you know, Fess uh, Parker leaves on day one of shooting and he comes back on the last day of shooting. And at the cast party, everybody's like, wish we'd had more time with you. Uh, this movie is about the boy and his dog. And it's about right. it's about the two of them meeting. And in fact, uh, just moving us a little forward in the plot, Old Yeller is not initially Travis's dog. Because uh, Travis had a dog in the past. Uh, Belle. Who, Belle, who he loved. I is, had a dog named Belle. So, of course I mean, we actually We actually named Belle after that dog. So, in Old Yeller. Of course you did. Of course we did. But anyway, go on. <laughs> so, so, but, but all things considered, like, it's gonna, like, the idea here is gonna be even though this dog is a little bit wild um, and a little out of control, it might be a good dog to be partnered with Arliss, who mm-hmm. clearly has a need for animals that P.S. will never be quenched. And will. I, I have a lot to say about Arliss. Um, a lot. <laughs> a lot. I have strong feelings about this younger brother, and you're going to hate all of them. Okay. Alrighty, alrighty. <laughs> but foreshadowing. <laughs> oh my gosh! So then we've got a so over the course of this time, uh, so we we actually see like this is sort of uh, it is re- Travis is reluctant to take Old Yeller into his heart, 
And what eventually happens is Arliss, uh, I mean, there, there's a lot that happens here, but I think the relationship starts to change when Arliss decides he sees a baby bear and goes, this would make a good pet and tries to catch the baby bear. And then, of course, Mama Bear comes traipsing through the woods when Baby Bear is upset. Uh, Mom and, and Travis are too far away. They're yelling at Arliss, let go of the Baby Bear. Let go of the Baby Bear. But Arliss does not. And it's up to Old Yeller to rush in and save the boy. And he does. Right? And right. that... And that lets us know how important it is that Old Yeller is a part of this family. If he wasn't there, Arliss would be gone. Mm -hmm. And and maybe, Larry says to himself, the human race gene pool might do a little bit better. Because <laughs> we don't we don't need to cultivate the let's hold on to baby bear gene. We just don't need it, Andy. <laughs> It is it is not an evolutionary step, but <laughs> but fine. Uh, so later on, uh, a uh, and again, this movie next sequence, next sequence, we get the arrival of um, I think his name is Bud and Bud his Cersei. Yes. Bud Cersei and his daughter Lisbeth. Mm -hmm. uh, Lisbeth, yes, and they arrive. It is. Bud is the one guy who stayed home while all the women folk oh. uh, are are taking care of the farms. Well, and what's interesting is like they the men that left told him to stay home <laughs> to take care of everybody. Right? He has they did not want him along. <laughs> he has written it as a narrative that he has heroically stayed behind to take care of the women, right. but in probably like an amazing. <laughs> In an amazing series of reaction shots, you can tell from mom that she's not buying what he's selling. In fact, she doesn't really like the guy, but is required to be uh, neighborly towards Hospitable. him. Right. Yeah. Will never go to him for help. And mm -hmm. you get the sense that no one will. <laughs> um, but but he's around and, and he'll be showing up. I think possibly more important is Lisbeth, his daughter, who so clearly is in love with Travis. Um, like, like she is the first, I think, of many young women to fall in love uh, with Tommy Kirk. Right. Um, and she crushes on him hard. Mm -hmm. uh, so we get we get the sense a little bit that there is really, I think this arrival tells us there really is no outside world who's going to come help this family out, that they're on their own and and they, they can't help is not coming. Right. If, if something goes wrong, help is not coming. There's no such thing as rescue. The Marines right. are not coming. That's right. <laughs> exactly right. So that's right. So I, I forget which of these two sequences happens next, but I believe the next one that happens is uh, Old Yeller's former owner, whose name escapes me. Uh, I want to say Bernie. Bernie Bern, Bern, Bern Sanderson. Bern Sanderson shows up looking for his dog. And uh, it's very clearly Old old Yeller is his dog. And like uh, Arliss is really mad that this guy is coming to take <laughs> what he considers to be his dog away. And in a very interesting, in, 
way, Burn is not the antagonist of this movie. Uh, he's a guy who wants his dog back. But when he sees how much the boys love the dog, he's like, he he makes he makes a gift of the dog without making them feel like it's charity. Right. Right. He mm-hmm. says, what I really need is a good home cooked dinner. Uh, and I really need a uh, horned lizard. Of horned some toad. S- horned toad of some sort, which. That's really important to Texans that you say horned toad, Larry. Oh, okay. I, I apologize to everyone in Texas for that. Uh, okay. For that. All right. And please write me if you want a horned toad shipped to you at my expense. Uh, we'll put we'll put my address in the uh, we'll put my address in the show notes. We're and not we're we, not going to do that. No, we're not okay. going to do that. Go on. Okay. <laughs> uh, this offer is not valid anywhere. Ever. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> okay. So that that being said, um, when that bit of business is done, he takes Travis aside and, and gives it, and they have like a little man-to-man talk about, you know, how good a job Travis is doing. But he warns Travis that hydrophobia has been going around. And to oh. be very careful about like if you see animals acting strangely, if you see them falling over, if you see them getting hurt, that like hurting themselves, they're going to turn on you. They're going to get rabies. Mm-hmm. And uh, young, innocent children watching this movie go, what are the odds that that'll show up again in the movie? That must have that just must have been an extraneous detail. I don't see what's coming. No, sir. Right. No, sir. No <laughs> foreshadowing here. No Chekhov's rabies for us. But it actually does color a bunch of scenes that have almost nothing to do with hydrophobia. There's a bit where uh, Travis and and Old Yeller go off to brand the animals. Um, I think it's the wild. To to mark the hogs, the javelin hogs. So what's interesting about that bit is that Bud Searcy is the one who says, oh, you get in a tree to do that. Yeah. To do that work. And so Travis gets hurt basically because Bud Searcy told him to climb a tree to do that work i i mean although although i would do the opposite of anything bud cersei told me to do right 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 right. i mean i think when he yeah if if he says something you do the exact opposite and yeah i think that's a seinfeld episode or something it is he's the george George of the west is bud cersei that's right that's right all right (laughs) um he's like yada 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 rabies anyway (laughs) Uh, that that being said, that being said, uh, in the attempt to brand the hogs, uh, Travis gets in danger, and it's up to Old Yeller to rescue Travis. However, Old Yeller gets really hurt protecting Travis. Mm-hmm. Travis comes back to the farm. He gets mom, and mom's like, you know, sometimes you just have to let dogs pass away. And and Travis goes, no, I promised him. I gave him my word. We have to go back and save Old Yeller. I gave and, him my word, which is a, yeah. So all through this, Larry, we see Travis doing things that men are expected to do. And, and, and he does and them Old without Ye- complaint. Yeah. And Yeller leads him through this journey of what it means to be a man, teaching him how to be a man in the absence of his father. I, I think that's right. Yeah. So I'm I'm going to try to get us through the rest of the plot quickly because it's again just sequences. Um yeah. Lisbeth comes by with uh Old Yeller's son um who who sire 
Apparently, Old Yeller got up to some business with uh, Lisbeth's dog and Lisbeth. Prissy. Lisbeth's dog, Prissy, which we never see Prissy, which is unfortunate, I think. Okay, sure. Maybe that can be your pitch. Old Prissy. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, but brings the dog and says, please love me and I'll give you this puppy. And, and Travis says, I'm not going to love you and I don't want your dog. But you know who wants animals? My younger brother, Arliss, give it to him. And Lisbeth starts to cry. Um, be, and uh, Lisbeth, this is going nowhere. Smart women, foolish choices. I, I just got to tell you, read the room. Find someone else. Uh, but but that happens. A cow, the cow goes, um, the cow gets, like, starts stumbling down, and Travis has to put down the cow. Uh, it was no fun watching that cow stumble and fall, and, and again, some really good animal acting there. Uh, but it's very clear, Travis is the one who recognizes this is hydrophobia, we have to put down the cow, and I'm going to be the one to do it. Later on, there's a wolf attack, uh, and both Travis, Travis is injured in that in that battle. Also, Old Yeller saves the day, fights off the wolf, but also gets hurt. Um, back comes Bud Cersei to say, like, hey, hope you guys don't have rabies because that's going around. If it is, you both are dead. Um, and for some reason, mom gets gets uh, upset at this at this conversation. Uh, she says to him something along the lines of like, hey, you know, get the heck out of here, bud. Or, or or since my son is hurt, why don't you do some work for a change? And Bud says, you're right. You do need help. Lisbeth, go do all the work on the farm. <laughs> what a man. What a man he is. Yeah. Uh, and uh, at first we feel good that Travis and Old Yeller are seem to be healing, but mom says we're going to wait a month to see if things are going to be better. They check on Old Yeller. Old Yeller seems fine. Travis goes back to check on Old Yeller, and oh, there is something wrong with Old Yeller. Old Yeller is growling and angry, and Travis is in a little bit of denial. He locks Old Yeller up. He tells he tells his wife and his, and his wife, his mom, and his younger brother, and everybody, Old Yeller's fine, but stay away from her. Um, but Arliss has decided he's waited long enough for Old Yeller to get out there and he's going to free Old Yeller because that's the kind of person Arliss is. He should never have children. Um, but uh, we have our last action sequence in which just in the nick of time, they stop Arliss from from letting letting Old Yeller loose and probably getting very badly hurt possibly fatally probably fatally okay. uh and and travis does what he has to do he takes the dog he takes the gun he goes to see the dog there is a gunshot and i feel like that's the climax of the movie um yeah. it's pretty clear i mean when old yellow nearly attacks arliss travis has to put him down right so, yeah. yeah, I mean that's the big decision point. It's what it we've been we've been had the specter of of rabies over our head this entire time, and here we go. So, if you're a parent that's ever helped a young person bury a pet, you recognize the scene of the emotional climax that I think comes next. I think uh, that's right, which is where Jim comes home. Jim misses all the fun, uh, and he comes home and finds that his son is burying a dog that he 
he doesn't even know who this dog is. He never met the dog. Right. And and that it it really does show how much Travis has grown into manhood. At mm-hmm. the same time, he has a conversation with Lisbeth where Lisbeth's like, well, the dog I gave you is part old yeller. But but rather than have the movie take the easy way out and have Travis say, like, you're right, um, you know, uh, it's like it's like the dog had another life. Here it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, old yeller, too. Um, right. No, uh, he says, like, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if that's part old yeller. I still miss mm-hmm. old yeller. Like, I'm not going to get over my grief that easily. Right. Which is helpful, I think. I think that's that's really rather than try to immediately replace the relationship, there needs to be this time to mourn. Right. I am sure Travis will have another dog someday, but it doesn't need to be the day he's burying old Yeller. And it doesn't need to be this year. Right. I mean, Uh, I think it's an interesting conversation that Jim, he and Jim have where he, he says, you know, life just hauls off and knocks you flat. Um, that, that whole, it's not your fault. Um, you can't afford the good part fretting about the bad, but saying it's one thing and feeling it's another, you know? I mean, I think it's a great little life lesson. I don't usually like movies where we take time out for the sermon, right? (laughs) From the, from the character, from the, the Obi-Wan character, right? But I think in this case, it's, it's needed, because we we've experienced something hard that we haven't seen in movies. That's you, right. You know, there there is an app which I absolutely think um, people in this audience, maybe Andy specifically, should download. Called oh, it's basic. I don't remember the name of the app, but it basically gives you a warning to something bad. Like like if you want to know without spoilers, does something bad happen to a dog in this movie? It oh. will tell you if anything bad happens to a dog. Because if you can't oh. handle that sort of thing, right. don't go see that movie. Right. And and this movie, And yet that's part of dog ownership, right? Like or I mean companionship. I hate to say ownership, but it is part of it. You know, you know that you have this great companion and one day, you know, you're going to lose this dog. It, yeah. Days are just they're going to break your heart one day. And, and as you know? someone who's not emotionally mature enough to handle it, that's a big part of why I don't have a dog. Um the other you know. thing Larry, the other thing Larry is this is 1957. And World War II has ended in 1945. And I, I really feel like, even though it's 12 years from that, there have got to be, uh, you know, soldiers and Marines and sailors who are, you know, wrestling with that kind of thing. Sure. And they're watching television alongside their 12, 10, 11, 12-year-old boys, right? Um, and everybody's watching The Wonderful World of Disney on a Sunday night. And so they're sitting there and they're... It's it's fast really talking to all American men. There is nothing wrong with a movie that addresses grief. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I think it's important for us to have conversations about grief, what grief is, what grieving is, and how much that conversation needed to be have to, to happen when we're coming off of the mythology of the greatest generation where men don't cry, where you go right. off and die and you're proud of it, where you're not really even supposed to mourn whoever you lost out there, just be proud of them. Um, and that, and that's as much manhood, right? It, but it's a toxic, it's a toxic message. Right. And, and I have, I, I'd like to think we're doing better about, about dispelling that mythology a little mm-hmm. bit today that you can be proud of, you know, the person who served and, and passed, but also you're allowed to grieve 
Like, right. like you can't say, well, that person wouldn't want you to grieve. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't You're ring grieving. true. It doesn't ring true, right? Also, I want everyone to grieve me. I want months of wailing and gnashing of you, teeth. If I'm around, Larry, you got it. You National got it. holiday? <laughs> sure. Okay. I'll, I'll lobby for that. I'll lobby okay. for that. But but when, when Fess says saying it's one thing, but feeling it's another, you know, yeah. like he doesn't dismiss it. And, and I think that's. Right. Like something that's really kind of powerful and something we don't like if you watch movies of this era, like men don't say things like that. I, I, I think that's right. I think I think that's absolutely right. And he says it in a way and because it's coming from Fess Parker, who we know I sometimes have issues with his performances, but but it is coming from someone who you could never say, well, that's not a masculine man. He's Davy Crockett. <laughs> exactly. Davy Crockett with a mustache. right? Sure. <laughs> arguably more manly than Davy Crockett. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I mean, I think, and I, 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 I really love that part of this movie. Um, I think it helps children understand what's going on. It helps me understand what's happening. And I think it's always a good moment to just kind of reflect on. Yeah, he's right. The other other thing that I, I think this movie does and it's smart is we all know Travis is doing the right thing. Yes. When he kills old Yeller. Yes. He's we we are also calculating he needs to make that decision. And if we weren't sure before, when Arliss almost gets hurt, it's like he almost left it too late. Right. 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 Um, you know, we know he has to do this. And so we're doing it also. Um, and I I don't think we feel guilty about it. We just rec- we recognize it as an act of love. We're with the protagonist when he makes this very difficult decision. You've that mentioned has to make. Yeah, you've mentioned sequences uh several times through this movie. We have this happens and then this happens and then this happens and they they don't they sort of we see even though those are sort of unrelated, we do see growth I think in Travis all the way around. I'm going to get into some character work here sure. a little bit talking about Travis uh Tommy Kirk. Uh this was his first Disney picture. He was discovered at Pasadena Playhouse at age 13, acting in Awe Wilderness. Wow. Um, but there's a line that he delivers before he he um, shoots Yeller, and he says, he was my dog. I'll right. do it. And it wasn't, it's not until he recognizes that this dog is no longer the dog I used to have. And in that way, Yeller's already gone. Incredible acting from Tommy Kirk and Travis. The directing is very good. There's lots of Disney paths we've talked about that cross in this movie. Um, we're going to see him interact with some of these same people again and again. But I think Tommy Kirk sells me on Travis. I honestly think Tommy Kirk sells me on Tommy Kirk. You just know yeah. this kid should be a star. Walt yeah. was right. Whatever he yeah. saw in Awe Wilderness, I bet that was the best production of Awe Wilderness that has ever happened. He's so yeah, good. He really and is. And he's doing complex work. And the role, it really rests on his shoulders. And most of these other movies that we see where there's a kid in the lead role, you watch as the adults take on a lot of the scene work in the scenes to try to get a performance out of, out of the kid. Uh, in the scenes in particular between Travis and his mom, mm-hmm. like they are equal scene partners in those scenes. They are let's, giving and responding to each other. And it's good. And let's talk about Katie Coates, who's Dorothy McGuire. Um, 
Her performance here reminds me a lot of a movie that she did in 1945 called A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. They actually have the same name, Katie. Um, and, and of course, she rejoins Tommy Kirk and Kevin Corcoran to do Swiss Family Robinson three years after this movie's made. You know, Travis has this journey to manhood, but mom is the one guiding him and leading him there. Yeah, she's it's not, fantastic. It's not, it's not dad. I mean, she hands him the gun. A, a strong, a strong female character in a in an era where where movies often fainted. I feel like she and Polly Crockett would have gotten along <laughs> famously. Uh, I right. honestly believe Travis doesn't need to step up. That Katie could get all the work done herself if the boys had both been younger. Right. She'd been right. raising those two kids and doing all the work, but she sees this as an opportunity for Travis to grow for and grow. she takes hands off, even though she could get the job done mm-hmm. in a, in, in a lot of ways that it's more important that he be given this space to become a man than it is for her to, to take control. She has another right. kid who needs a lot more supervision, frankly. Right. Um, but she's so great. And I'm so glad she's in this movie. Yeah. And Dorothy McGuire is so great and so much. And um, if you like, there's there's a movie that she does just a year prior to this um, that um, the name escapes me, but she's a I think it's called Friendly Persuasion. And she's with Gary Cooper. And it's so good. Gosh, it's so good. In another actress's hands. This role is a dead role, a boring yep. role. Yeah. There is so much interiority to everything she says. The scene with yes. Bud, where Bud is clearly trying to get himself invited to dinner, and mm-hmm. she is working so hard to not invite him, but also be friendly till right. Arliss uh, till Arliss goes, It's time for dinner. <laughs> she's trying and to she's shut like, him up. <laughs> she's like, Okay, now I've got to invite him. Look what you did. Right, 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 but, right, right. But it's it's you she is giving so much. Mm-hmm. She's. I could see a movie about Old Yeller, which is just about this woman who's been left alone to take care of the farm and she gets a dog. And it would still be a great yeah. movie. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about Arliss Coates, um, uh, Kevin Corcoran. Uh, <sighs> his, his real nickname was Moochie. Uh, he's called Moochie and Spen and Marty and on the Mickey Mouse Club and even in the Shaggy Dog, they call him Moochie. I remember him as uh, Moochie. Yeah, but Old Yeller is his first really big Disney picture. He's done work for them before for television, but he does four more pictures in 1960 before he becomes a teenager. So I don't yeah. want to talk about the performance of I don't think it's fair to look I at. Think like the, a I kid. think the performance is great, actually, uh, but but I don't. I, I mean, I can tell that they had to do a lot of work to get that performance out of him. He's so young. You oh, know, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's like seven or eight here, maybe. Yeah. I hate this character, though. Mm. I hate this little kid. He's so... Annoying. I... How do I how do I want to how do I want to put this? I want to put this. There's I said this in Swiss Family Robinson, and I meant it there, and I mean it here. There, I understand being fascinated by animals and loving animals. The level to which he wants to own animals without loving them necessarily, it it's it's dark to me. He's gonna oh, take a baby bear away from a mama from a mama bear with no real foot. Like, like he may love animals, 
but he loves owning animals. What's important to Arliss is saying, he's my dog. The important mm-hmm. part of that is mine. Mine. Right. Right. Uh, and to the point where Arliss, who grew up on a farm, you you have to be more have more farm sense than I would have. And there right. is no multiverse where I'm on a farm. There's no world in which I'm old Mick Brenner, uh, E-I-E-I-O. But I know not to do the things that Arliss is doing. Right. And I, and I would have right. known it at his age. So I, I think if you read the book, Old Yeller, um, Arliss is definitely this character. And um, he's definitely seen through the eyes of Travis uh, as the narrator in that book. Mm-hmm. And I think it's this pesky younger brother uh, and maybe exacerbated that way in a lot of ways. And I think the movie tries to capture that. I think I actually think they do a pretty good job at getting his emotional dysregulation. But I think you're right in that he wants to own a pet, but he doesn't want the responsibility of of loving a pet. And There's he doesn't care if it's good for the pet. These frogs right. and snakes and, and horned toads are not happy in his pockets. Also, that's just kind of boy. <laughs> so I don't know how many things I've pulled out of little boy's pockets, but well, or said, mm, you, mm, let's put that down. Mm, let's not do that. I'm going to, I'm going to so. say not all boys. You could not get me to pick up frogs or toads. Yeah. No, I, thank you. I, I wish I had, in many ways, I wish I'd raised a young Larry Brenner, but I did not have that opportunity. <laughs> well, we can get, mom, mom, you can weigh in on that in the comments section. Whether I came with my own challenges, I am sure. <laughs> well, let's, am talk sure. About, let's talk about Jim Coates, um, Fess Parker. Uh, he was a college athlete at the University of Texas, so hook him. Okay. Uh, he he and Jeff York, who plays Bud, Bud Cersei, they do a lot of acting together in Disney films, like uh, The Great Locomotive Chase. We've seen him in Davy Crockett and the River Pirates. Right. Westward Ho, The Wagons. And then later he's in an episode of, um, Jeff York's in an episode of Parker's Daniel Boone TV series. Um, yeah, what do we think about Jim? I I honestly, I, I know that he he's not in the movie much. But I, I love I love that that scene between Jim and Travis where he talks to him about Yeller. I think, look, I, I'm not going to put Fess Parker on my list of Disney enemies, okay? Owl will always have the top spot on that list. Um, I, I don't need, I don't, and, and Fess Parker would, would you know, uh, Kick my butt. Uh, so I'm not I'm not going into that. I only like to pick fights where I'll win. Um, but but I will Fair say, enough. like, as much as I, I felt like Davy Crockett was flat, I think there's something in his scene partner work with younger people where where he does a better job of emoting. Like it's it's something about like being talking to a young man about becoming a man. That really opened something up in his performance here. That yeah. that it felt more real, more genuine, and the softness that comes through really uh, like if you told me that Offset Fess Parker like guided Tommy Kirk and was like, "Listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna teach you the ropes here." I feel like it's a real relationship. I don't know that that's true. I'm making it up, but but it feels that way here. I think yeah, I like him it, much better in this movie than I like him in Davy. 
Well, I feel like he he does that well. And I, I agree with you. I think the directing is different between Davy Crockett for television. And this is a feature film with Robert Stevenson at the helm. I think we get, I, I think you're right. But I also, I feel like they have really good chemistry. Like he has really good chemistry with, with Tommy. But, but I, I don't also feel, feel like, he has, oh, sorry. Tommy is somebody, Tommy Kirk is somebody who helps his actors with his performance. He makes it look really easy. I, but I do want to say in the scenes that, that Jim has with Katie, uh, number one, like, I don't know that those scenes need to be there because this movie is not about the relationship between mom and dad, but I didn't feel chemistry there in the scene where he's like, I brought back this dress and I want to see you in it. We should be feeling like there's going to be another Coates boy coming along in nine months. And I, I don't know. I don't know. It I don't know. Like I, 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 I don't know. I am. You disagree? I disagree because I, I mean, I'm married to somebody who's rather understated. And so I can tell you that that is, I felt it. I felt there was a little spark there. Okay. I mean, he's tired after a trail ride. Come on. Well, you know what? If Fess says like, you guys decide which one of us gets him. Yeah. I'll let you have him. You, this is for you. This <laughs> is for you. I'm fine so, with Betsy. Okay. It's okay. Good. So uh, let's talk about Bud Searcy and Jeff York. Jeff York started his acting life as Granville Owen, and he was the original A Little Abner uh, from 1940. I did. Oh my god! I was watching that movie the other day, and I'm like, that guy looks really familiar. Who's Granville Owen? I do a little. I do a little digging. It's Jeff York. I'm. Like, I had no idea. Fascinating. Yeah, I've yep, seen yep, that yep. movie too. I know. Yeah, yeah. It's him. Same I, guy. I. And he is, he is, he is a wonderful character actor. I think he's as good as he is in Mike Fink. I I had to actually look it up to see if it was the same actor. Cause I'm like, visually it's the same, but the performance here is so different. I must be seeing somebody else. Right, right. He does such a great job. And I love, and I love how he's sort of the antagonist that he knows everything. He's, he's almost like this uh, foil for, for Jim, right? Uh, he's he's there with um, with Travis, trying to tell him how things are, right? And Jim, you know, trusts Travis, but Bud is the guy who's going to be like, "Well, what you need to do is that." You know, he's that guy. He's that guy when everybody's looking around a motor that's you know not working, and he has all the right answers, but none of the right tools or the elbow grease, right? Yeah. And so um, he's perfect. He's perfect in that role. I, I just so good. And and while I would say like he may be the closest thing this movie has to an antagonist, I I mean he's he's not the antagonist of this movie because he's not actively opposing the main mm-hmm. characters. I guess you'd have to say rabies uh, is is the antagonist. Well, nature, of this, nature, nature, right? I mean, the, the dark side of nature. It's a hard. Yeah, there's just a hard. There are things that Travis is going to have to battle. There are tests that he's going to have to overcome in order to to reach manhood, and but and he he does it, those things. Like with as much support, as he does those things, as much as Katie doesn't ever want Bud to come up uh, to the farm, I'm always happy when he does, right? Because <laughs> he's hilarious. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Elizabeth Cersei, Beverly Washburn. Um, She's an extensive character actor, and she's had some roles before this. If you're a Trekkie, 
Uh, You'll see her in season two, episode 12, called The Deadly Years from the original Star Trek series in 1967. Oh, wow. She has a song that comes out in 1963 called Everybody Loves Saturday Night. If you hear that, just imagine Elizabeth Searcy singing it. And you've pretty much got what her, I, I think it was her only record, but... She has an extensive, I mean, I, like, I think she was just in a movie with Snoop Dogg. <laughs> so she, what? <laughs> she's still acting. I mean, she is still working. So yeah. Oh she's, my uh, gosh. Yeah. She's something else. I love her in this. And I think you're right. She absolutely has a crush on. I mean, Tommy there's Kirk. no way you could not get, I mean, I'm not insightful for thinking that it is so clear in the performance that she goes home and she draws like little pictures of I love Travis Coates and it, that, <laughs> that it's like LS plus TC forever uh, all over there. She is, she is exactly that. Um, I think the movie wants us to believe that in the future, the two of them are going to end up together. Uh, I, I think we're, I, I think movies like this try, try to make us like see like 10 years down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, he does one not day evidence, Travis will see her with new eyes. Right. And he does and not. He sort of does. No, he's not. That's not going to happen. It, it really isn't. And maybe if there's one thing, this movie, uh, this movie is missing in a mm-hmm. movie about a, a young boy becoming a man is that moment where he does notice the opposite sex and has, has, I was waiting for that relationship to arc a little bit. Right. Right. Uh, it just doesn't. It just no. doesn't. It's fine that it doesn't because I'm also of the belief that the, you know, just because you knew each other at the age of 13 doesn't mean you have to fall in love and get married. I think a lot of uh, movies try to sell us that story all the time. But, you know, uh, I, I she's great. She's great yeah. in this. Uh, Bern Sanderson, who Chuck Connors, uh, he played Major League Baseball with the Dodgers and the Cubs and then in, went to the NBA to play with the Celtics. He's uh, great in this too. Oh, he's great. And they, the year after this movie comes out, he stars in the extremely popular The Rifleman TV series. So he he and he plays exactly the same character. He is he is the same in The Rifleman with the with the boy and so you see this this magic between him and Arliss as he's trading the dog for the horny toad and then you see that same performance in The Rifleman, I think. As an intellectual exercise. As an intellectual exercise, I wonder what this movie would look like if you switched Chuck Connors and Fess Parker and put them in the opposite roles. Interesting. Because I felt, honestly, Chuck Connors had more chemistry with Mm -hmm. with, uh, Katie than Fess did. Um, And it might might even be like we could look at this stranger who came in and be like, is that... Is that Dave Crockett? Well, there is a moment. <laughs> there is a moment where Burn comes in, and you're like, "Is she gonna hook up with him?" Like, what's going told, on? I I felt like there were sparks. <laughs> I and did I was too. yeah. I was yeah. waiting. I was waiting for Travis to go. I'm not calling you dad. My dad's coming home. <laughs> right. Right. Did not happen. Yeah. Okay. So, in lieu of pitch time, because how in the world do you? Follow Old Yeller, although there is a sequel, Savage Sam, and I'm, maybe one day we'll get to that on the maybe. podcast. Maybe. Disney Plus, you got to put it on there for us That's to do right. it. Yeah. That's right. Uh, so, in lieu of that, I thought it might be nice, because Larry, you've never owned a dog. I never have, and while no one knows the future, the Magic 8 Ball says, probably not. Probably not. Um, I, I have had multiple dogs in my life um, that I have loved very much, and... Um, 
all of them hold a special place in my heart. And, uh, you know, maybe I, I think they've all taught me how to be a better person in their own way. Okay. Um, so I think you need a dog. Oh, <laughs> and Lord. So I'm going to offer you six Disney dogs. Okay, good, good. We're, we're, we're being <laughs> fictional here. I'm not going to have to make yes, a hard... Okay. Six, six Disney dogs. And you get to pick which dog you you would like to have. Okay. As as your dog. Okay. Okay. I'm frightened. I'm And you may not, you may not, listen, you have to choose. You may not want to, but you must. Okay. I must choose one. You must choose one. Okay. But if Goofy is on the list, he's getting neutered. Goofy is not on the list. Thank goodness. I'm not taking Goofy. Okay. Good. And I'm not, I'm not offering anybody from, I'm only, only dogs from the 20th century. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. All right. So you get Tramp. From Lady and the Tramp. No, thank you. I don't know that where one, that dog that has been. possibility. <laughs> don't know where that dog has been. I feel like Tramp, I'm, I'm going to, I know I should listen to all my options, but I'm going to take a hard no on Tramp. Tramp constantly tries to leave the house. No, thank you. Okay, we're going to, we're going to give you Old Yeller because, I mean. That's no, Old Yeller today. gets rabies. I can't do that. <laughs> no, thank you. Okay. Nana from Peter Pan. Okay, now that is an option. <laughs> that is an option. Nana will take some of the parenting load off of my shoulders. Uh-huh. All right, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hold her. She's How she's about, the one to beat. Okay, Chiffon from uh, The Shaggy Dog. Oh, no. Oh, no, no. <laughs> I might get merged with that dog. No. Okay, Pongo. From uh, 101 Dalmatians. With, so if it is the live action Pongo who will make me toast um, and like set the alarm for me and yes. do the work, that's tempting too. <laughs> so you want a working dog is what you but want. But you know what? But you know what? Pongo is going to give me a lot of pups. And that that's really taking at least 17 dogs, possibly as many as 101 into my house. And that's a big ask, Andy. And I'm not Larry, up to it. Larry would have Pongo neutered, probably. All right. Like day one. <laughs> All right. Copper. Copper Ooh. from Fox and the Hound. Copper is fickle. Copper's love is not unconditional. The way that other dogs love is. I, I mean, you're not a fox. You're a human. So I, I am definitely like Todd, though. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm a Todd kind of guy. I need a copper who's going to love me and stand by me. And uh, and and copper's a hunting dog. And I got to tell you, Andy, he has needs that I'm not going to meet. OK. All right. One more. I, okay. I know I said six, but I'm going to throw one more in there. Bruno from Cinderella. Ooh. Mmm. All right. I okay. I have my I have my answer. Okay. It is a tough call between Nana from Peter Pan and Bruno from Cinderella. But here is my argument for why it's gonna be Nana and not Bruno. I respect Bruno. I knew it. I knew it. I, I res- knew you'd pick Nana. <laughs> I respect Bruno. I would need Bruno. If I grew up in a house full of people who didn't love me, mm-hmm. that's where you need a Bruno. Bruno is your one ally against the world, right? right? The one who knows the stepsisters and the stepmother are trash and that Lucifer the cat is awful. Like Bruno would keep me sane in that world, but 
I have a very loving family. Um, I don't, I don't need that. What I would need is a dog who's going to bring more love into the family. Uh-huh. Uh, and I think, I think Nana takes it. I think, I think Nana is a dog who is here for the children. Um, and ultimately, since I don't need a dog, I, what, what, if I'm going to get a dog and children, if you're listening, it's not happening, <laughs> but if we're going to get one, it's going to be one that provides something for my children. Ah, uh, so that's my answer. Excellent. My answer, my answer is Nana. And somewhere, and somewhere, Goofy is very happy that I'm not introducing him to Bob Barker. And uh, <laughs> well, I didn't put Goofy or Pluto on the list because I thought that was just sort of unfair. So I, Pluto was Pluto would I I could take conceivably take Pluto, yeah. although the amount of times he's destroyed Mickey and Donald's house. See, there uh, it is, right? Yeah, <laughs> and 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 Goofy will get us killed. Yeah. So, so, yeah. so Nana is, Nana is my winner. Nana right. is my winner. All right. So oh, that was fun, we... Andy. That Thank was you. good. That was really good. Okay. So what movie are we tackling next week? Well, it's kind of a dog movie. Although, <laughs> although I, I, and it's our last episode of the season, Andy. Wow. So, I can't even believe it. So we go from talking about a boy and his dog to, to a conversation about a girl and her alien. We're going to watch Lilo and Stitch. Yay! It's one of my favorite movies ever. I love that movie so much. Oh, I love it too. I, I don't know anyone who doesn't, honestly. Oh, it's just, it's it's so fabulous. And, and you know, we'll talk about it more next week. But boy, when it came out, I, I couldn't stop. I, I probably went to the theater five times to see that movie. Absolutely Gr- loved it. Great, great movie. Great property. Yep. Well, if you like what you're hearing, will you do us a favor and share this podcast with another Disney or classic movie fan? And please check out our Once Upon a Disney Facebook page or drop us a line in our mailbox at onceuponadisneypodcast at gmail.com. So until next time, friends, see you real soon. See you real soon.